Yeah, the first year was uh, still still a complicated because it was the first year everything changed and um, so <laughs> you had to explain the change. <laughs> but uh -huh. uh, but uh, I think right now um, right now there are definitely more information and they know that the league is just one entity with promotion relegation is just you know there are definitely a lot of teams um, yeah. that play so maybe sometimes they don't know the difference between a B3 team or a B1 team or a B2 team you know you have to be uh, specific maybe um, because you know the, there are really a lot of teams so every team is different you know team in B1 maybe operate different from B3 uh, I mean B3 for example didn't have playoff until last year so they're gonna have the playoff this season so these are all, for, all, all things that you need to explain to the players when you definitely present them offers and how actually the league is going to be structured especially uh, this hasn't changed but you know the fact that you play two games um, in a week you know in a weekend that's something that some players don't know hi everybody welcome to today's episode of japan forwards sports talk podcast i'm your host edo devon we have a special guest this week on the program Deborah Zoli, who has been a longtime agent in international basketball, including the B-League. And before the B-League in the era of the JBL, NBL, and the BJ League. Good morning and good evening, I should say, from California, Deborah. Welcome to the Hi. program. Hi. How are you doing? It's been a while. I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. We met, I think, in uh, 2000. 18 in Japan. I think it was 2018, yes. Yeah. You were you were on one of your annual trips, I believe, to visit several of the teams, right? Correct. It was uh, April 2019. Uh, 18, sorry, 2018. Have you been to any uh Japan games this season? Uh yes, I was in Japan in October, actually for the opening uh game. So I went to the, the first week of October. I was in I was in Japan for a week, you know, about a seven eight days, and to meet some clients because, you know, I wasn't able to travel for for about three years. So I took the chance to to take a trip for for about a week. How was the atmosphere at the at the games? Oh, they were actually very crowded, more than expected. And even, you know, I went to a couple of B3 games and surprisingly, there were a lot of people and fans. And like I said, it was the opening game. So maybe that was one of the reasons. But uh, I saw definitely basketball grew very, very much. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me rewind here for a minute. And... Yeah. Let's let's give people a brief introduction about your career path and what you've been up to in December 2022. Um, when we met in a couple of years back, you you told me a little bit about your career um, and growing up in Italy and what led you to the United States and international work. Uh, why don't you give us some highlights about that, please? Yeah, yeah. So I started to work uh, as a translator, actually, for a professional basketball team in Italy. Uh, this was, you know, the early 2000s. And, you know, at that time, the, the Italian team uh, was playing in the Italian top league, and they had 
five or six American players. So I, you know, my, one of my duties was to translate players' contracts and um, deal with their agents. So that's how I learned uh, more about the agent's role. And I became very passionate about it. And I obtained my FIBA license in 2007. And it took me obviously a while to to, to build connection with teams and players. Um, but, you know, I put a lot of time and, and effort, uh, dedication. And after a couple of years, the, the business finally took off. Mm-hmm. And I started to recruit college players, uh, mainly even from, from lower division, like NCAA Division II, Division Three. NIA and I basically signed them in Europe to to start their pro career. And I actually remember I signed my first player, I think, in Romania. <laughs> and uh, and then over the years I was able to expand my network more and more and I established established my agency in Los Angeles in 2013. Um, and you know, I I also acquired my license to operate in the NBA in 2019 because you know you need two two license one is the FIBA and one is the uh, NBA license um, to work in the NBA quick question about that how different are the rules that regulate the way agents work for the for FIBA leagues and for the NBA they're totally different <laughs> it's, it's two completely okay. different exams um, you know for both you have to take an exam um, <laughs> and I think definitely, you know, the, the NBA is a totally different market with, you know, trade, salary cap, is a real a lot of <laughs> material to study. So, you know, if you work in overseas, it doesn't mean you automatically know the rules in the NBA. You need to study from, from scratch, you know, and uh, so, yeah, it's a completely different market. I guess, I guess that would be helpful because of, uh, so many former G League players who have been up and down, and also those guys who've mm-hmm. gone overseas to play. So, sort of being closer to both the NBA and the NBA G League probably helps you with your work in figuring out where guys can go or making connections. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of G League players obviously um, can get a call up, you know, even to, to go to, and play in the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they have two ways, two-way contracts right now, so they can play in the NBA and in the G League. And um, you know, it, it really depends uh, on what stage of their career the players are. And some of the players decide to stay two, three years in the G League, and if the NBA doesn't work out, then they go and play overseas. But definitely, you know, the G League is it's a it's a league where you can find a lot of good talent and, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of good players that ultimately can go and play overseas. What what would you say, Deborah, are the biggest aspects of the job that bring you personal satisfaction? Uh, well, I mean, I love my job. I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, helping players and coaches to be successful in their career. Um, and, you know, when we see one of our clients succeeding and we can be part of, you know, this uh, this success is very rewarding. And, 
Uh, besides, obviously, just uh, achieving a professional culture, we also assist the clients with other aspects of life, like, for example, endorsements, uh, endorsement events, uh, mm-hmm. financial planning. So we try to to help them in in um, in, in everyday their everyday life, you know, just uh, with everything. <laughs> and so seeing them su- succeeding, it's it's very rewarding for us and, and mm-hmm. part of it. I think um, I think there are I think some people have a bad you know opinion of, of of agents or the business, whereas like any kind of job or any career, there are a lot of people that are honest and doing the right thing and working hard mm-hmm. to help people, and then there are some that give a bad. There might be bad politicians that give a bad reputation for all politicians, or yeah. you know um, a, a police officer who is corrupt might give a bad you know might kind of tarnish the reputation of the profession. So you're mm-hmm. talking about um, helping players and, and coaches with uh, like financial planning and trying to get endorsements. Um, yeah. How do you sort of find out those uh, like endorsement opportunities? Do people like come to you to say like, maybe this might be a good fit for a client? Uh, well, it really depends on the clients that you have. Um, some, some clients maybe are a little more popular uh, so it's easier to get endorsement. Uh, in most cases, you know, we approach the brands um, and, you know, the mm. endorsement uh, business kind of change a lot with social media. Um, mm-hmm. You can be able to approach more brands, I guess, uh, and work out a different collaboration. You know, sometimes you can just post uh, a few pictures on Instagram or TikTok. And, and so I think the endorsement and sponsorship business has changed with, with social media and that gives a little bit of space for everybody to be able to be able to find brands even on a smaller scale. I mean, so it doesn't have to be necessarily a million dollar Nike deal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I guess some of the, some of the smaller endorsement um, arrangements might even be like somebody, somebody having a picture of, of, um, them like holding a certain kind of food, like saying like, I love this, this ramen noodle brand, you know, and they're holding <laughs> up a cup, a cup of noodles or something, or standing next to a delicious looking meal. And that might go on their like Instagram account and Twitter account and maybe the company's account. Exactly. I mean, sometimes is a, uh, it is up to the player. Uh, some players are more active on social media. They, they post a lot of things, a lot of pictures, videos, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, they interact with their followers. And that's, I think what brands want at the end of the day, be able to share the products with as many people as possible. And, um, you know, uh, be able to collaborate with, with players who are active and actually really like the brand, you know, because there must mm. be some truth, you know, in what you're promo- promoting. And mm. it's important, I think, that at the end of the day, the um, the brand align will align with the value of the player. Okay. How long have you been? How long have you been based in California? First of all, uh, for for your work. And is there an advantage for you to be there uh, for this career because of the United States? There's so many basketball players are are from the U.S. 
and perhaps you have a larger potential client base to you know recruit players or to interact with them even in the off season from from north america yeah yeah definitely i mean i moved here in 2013 when i established my agency and mm -hmm. i live about 20 minutes from los angeles and you know mm -hmm. los angeles is definitely a a hub i mean for for business sport and mm -hmm. um, the networking you can do here it's amazing and more than you know in Italy or or in Europe and just here in Southern California you have so many colleges so many players so many tournaments even during the summer like you know the Drew League TBT mm -hmm. uh, and so this makes the recruitment part uh, and business interaction way easier than if I lived in Italy or or in Europe. And I still travel to Italy, to Italy, to Europe quite often, probably four or five times a year. Um, you know, mm -hmm. my, my family lives in Italy, and I, I also represent represent players in Europe. Most of them are Americans, and but I, have, I represent players in Europe, so I have to travel there to meet them, to visit them, and obviously uh, keep relationship with uh, with European teams. But definitely. There is an advantage uh, living here with the with the kind of connections that that you you can build. I I think um, in addition to the the location, it also helps you maximize your time as well because, you, like you said, there's so many people that are there or are based there. So mm -hmm. there's only 24 yeah. hours in a day. So that, that's you you figured out that that's a good place to be, and. Um, be not just because a lot of people live here but at some point they travel here you know they come in the mm -hmm. summer maybe for basketball camps so sooner or later they all come to LA to LA at some point also I, I, could, I could point out I guess the fact that the NBA summer league is in Las Vegas and you're not too far from Las Vegas either so instead of mm -hmm. flying from Rome to Las Vegas <laughs> you're you're what like 20 minutes 30 minutes away by plane Way. yeah just uh, yeah you can even drive in three four hours pretty, right pretty close. yeah can can you share approximately uh how many countries you have players and coaches working in and roughly how many people are does your agency represent in basketball uh yeah so we have about 50 55 clients approximately um mm -hmm. The, the countries where they play, you know, change every year depending on uh, mm -hmm. on the clients we represent and their 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 stage of their career. Uh, of course, our main market is Japan. That's where we represent the highest number of players and coaches. Um, and you know, mostly because our players and our clients wants to come to Japan more more than Europe, but we also have players in uh, in Taiwan, Germany, uh, Portugal, France, England. We have a couple of players in the G League, uh, Vietnam. Yeah, so we we have uh, players all over, but mainly I would say that the highest number of clients is in Japan. Looking, looking at Japan basketball and your observations from a business standpoint uh, from 2007 when you received your agent license and up until now, 
as you look at your career and the way that the, the, the previous model was the BJ league was an independent league and the JBL, which became the NBL was under the JBA, you know, umbrella, the official league. Mm-hmm. How is the how has the basketball business standpoint changed from in the last fifteen years? Uh, well, it changed a lot. I think I started to work in uh, in the BJ League and the NBL in two thousand twelve. So it was a few years after I got my FIBA license. Uh, okay. But but I think back then in in, in two thousand twelve the the BJ League and the NBL were, were not well known in, in, in Europe or in the States. So a lot of players didn't know, uh, didn't, didn't really have many information. As, um, sometimes some some players and even coaches, they thought maybe the BJ League and the NBL was uh, only one league, you know, with, with promotion and relegation. Instead, mm-hmm. you know, they were two separate entities. And I think, you know, there, there were not a lot of information about the league. It's, it was very difficult to to watch games, um, and and so I think um, I think it was very difficult to convince young players with NBA talent or NBA perspective to come and play in Japan. Um, it was seen probably as a league more for older players or mm-hmm. players that we didn't have many options in, in Europe to play in Euro Cup or, or Euro League, um, and so it was difficult. At that time, for a player to play in Japan and then maybe try to play in the NBA Summer League the following summer, because there was, I mean, coaches were not scouting in Japan, so they they didn't know players who were playing in the league, and it was very difficult to get a certain exposure. So I think at that time it was uh, a lot of players were hesitant to, to come, um, even if maybe. The salary was uh, was good, or the condition and terms were acceptable. They they preferred to stay in Europe. Um, after 2016, with the merging of the BJ League and the NBL, you know, the it became the B League. Everything changed. I mean, the the level of the imports uh, definitely increased. Um, mm-hmm. The salary were way more attractive, and of course, you know that attract more more players. And I think the B League itself, you know, they they build a great reputation every year. And and right now we have coaches and players, uh, even former NBA players or Euro League players, that approach us every day to try to come to Japan. So um, furthermore, I think you know Japan is also a great place to. Believe, you know, organizations and teams are very professional and it's also a great environment for, for players and their family off, off the court. So we, we receive a lot of requests daily from players and coaches uh, that want to come, wanna, they want to come to Japan. Uh, it's definitely a hot, hot market right now. Thank you for those insights. Um, you, you're, and you're sorry, discussing... I think, let me add, it's, it's important that I think there is, with the B League, I think um, there are more talented Japanese players as well. I think uh, there are more Japanese players that are, you know, have a hunger to improve. I mean, you can see mm-hmm. some Japanese players made it to the NBA. So I think the, the, the local talent also improved a lot. Mm-hmm. The reputation of of the of the league awareness of the league has improved with the 
the um, the merger. And mm-hmm. now people understand that, yes, there is the uh, uh, promotion relegation, but it's all under the B-League system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before it was confusing, I don't know, I think, or maybe there were not enough information about the league. Mm-hmm. It was harder to get information and uh, a lot of players were confused and they thought, okay, maybe I will relegate from NBL to, to the BJ League or uh, vice mm-hmm. versa, be promoting. And so they they didn't know we were talking about two separate entities. Um, and I guess, you know, it was very difficult even for coaches to to scout players because they didn't have enough information on, or they didn't didn't have access to films or videos, games. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, it's totally different. From from your from your from your opinion and just um, your the way you operate as a, working with teams, working with players and clubs and coaches is is the current. This like after 2016, did did it start to get easier to sort of explain um, Japanese basketball to all those people? Yeah, the first year was uh, still still a complicated because it was the first year everything changed, and um, so <laughs> you had to explain the change. <laughs> but uh-huh. uh, but uh, I think right now. Um, Right now, there are definitely more information, and they know that the league is just one entity with promotion relegation. Is just you know there are definitely a lot of teams um, yeah. that play, so maybe sometimes they don't know the difference between a B three team or a B one team or a B two team. You know, you have to be uh, specific, maybe um, because you know the, there are really a lot of teams, so every team is different. You know. Team in B1 maybe operate different from B3. Uh, I mean, B3, for example, didn't have playoff until last year. So they're going to have the playoff this season. So these are all, all all things that you need to explain to the players when you definitely present them offers and how actually the league is going to be structured. Especially, uh, this hasn't changed, but, you know, the fact that you play two games um, in a week, you know, in a weekend, that's something that some players don't know. <laughs> you play Saturday and Sunday. Um, while you know in Europe, usually you play only on Sunday uh, unless you have uh, cup games. Do you think that that do you think that that sort of um, for the older players they want to play? That might be a selling point, but it also might be something that they sort of don't like back to back games. Well, I'm sure some players don't like it, <laughs> but, but I, I, some players, uh, you know, really want to play in Japan so bad that I guess they don't care. They like the challenge, and um, so they they really, you know, just want to come to Japan. So they're ready to to play even three, four, four times a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back, 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 just a minute to my um, sort of my previous um, group of questions about about the uh, B-League era and just uh, how mm-hmm. the business operates. Is there more of a standardized sort of like uh set of rules that the B-League has that when the BJ League operated by itself and the NBA operated separately, that there was more like differences in how teams deal with agents. And maybe now it's more, um, you sort of know better across the board. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. 
Well, for example, as if I remember in the NBL, uh, there was mm-hmm. a salary cap back then. So, you know, yeah. you had to deal with the, you couldn't go beyond a certain salary. And instead with the belief, you know, you don't have this uh, limitation, you don't have this restriction. So every team can pretty much sign the players that they want. And um, for example, if there is no salary cut, I think in the NBL, I don't remember, I think it was 150 or 180, more or less uh, $180,000 per player or 150. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this can limit teams to maybe acquire players whose, whose value is uh, $300,000 or $400,000 per season. So with the belief, you don't have that obstacle anymore. And um, I see sometimes very good players even going to be two or be three, you know, not, not necessarily just be one, you know, it's a pretty, pretty open market. And uh, I think, you know, some players just uh, want to make it to Japan. And so they, they're open to a challenge and maybe starting B2 and, you know, make their way up to B1. Uh, instead, you know, within the NBL, you just basically had one league. So you, you, you didn't have many, and there were way less team in, in the NBL. I think, you know, right now it's 16, 17, before it was maybe 10 or 12. You know, there were teams coming up every year, um, maybe new teams, but definitely the number of teams is, uh, is higher right now between B1, B2, and B3. And currently, get yeah, currently twenty four teams this year in B one. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, sixteen. Four, I think is is B two, right? They moved. They moved it to fourteen this year. They added two more teams to the to B one. So mm-hmm, right. three divisions yeah. of eight right now. And um, before we started the show, we were talking about you know some of the better teams. And um, one thing that connects to your your recent point about. Um, you know, teams looking after teams recruiting or trying to sign former NBA players, you know, because of the, there isn't that limit with the salary cap, like in the NBL era, you know, like you look at the Sun Rockers Shibuya the last several years and pretty much all of their foreign, foreign players have NBA experience and from mm-hmm. before they came to Japan. So that's sort of like the, the front office sort of has that standard. They're going to get guys who played in the NBA and that's sort of their model with what they look for. Yeah, yeah. I think there are many teams that are doing that, like even, even in B2, there are teams that sign former NBA players. And, and so everything is possible. I mean, I, I think even the B3 was able to sign very high-level players from, from Europe. And, you know, when, when, you, when you say B3, you know, Players always think it's a lower division, but actually, you know, the B3 is pretty competitive. There are very, very good import players uh, coming from all over Europe and maybe the G League. So definitely the level has has been impressive. I think the next question that I asked, sort of we touched upon before, as an agent, how would you describe the reputation? I think we sort of have discussed that, um, you know, pretty fairly. Do you think so? Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, like, how the the business change? You mean, or like? Uh, right after that. Uh, well, I mean, I think since 2007, for example, the, the number of certified agents definitely increased substantially. The the there is way more competition in the market between agents. Uh, I think even mm-hmm. through 
new technology and social media, it's way mm -hmm. easier to contact players and teams uh, and, you know, this created more competition. So I think, you know, my agency was able to create maybe its own niche of clients and build mm -hmm. some markets steadily over, over the years and gain more credibility and, and trust uh, from players and teams. Um, I'm not trying, you know, to compete with big agencies or, or big firms. And I, I don't think we are the right agency for every player either. You know, we, we try yeah. to choose our clients too. And, and we're not just signing any player just to sign a new client. You know, we, we try to choose our clients actively um, based on their resume, their needs, their priority, their goals, yeah. and make sure we are also right fit for them. And for sure you can be able to help them do do the players off do, do players and coaches often have questions uh for the agency uh to try to like to try to see if they think the agency is can be trusted yeah especially with rookies you know when when players finish college and it's time for them to choose an agent Mm -hmm. You know, they go through a lot of questions, you know, because obviously that's the first time they, they have to go through the process. And, you know, they're younger, maybe they have less experience uh, in, with the agent business. So sometimes, so of course, they involve their parents or their family in, in this decision. Uh, with older players, definitely, you know, they have questions. Um, but sometimes it, it can happen. It can be maybe word of mouth. Uh, other players introduce you other players so they already speak on your behalf a little bit um, uh, or you know maybe a player trying to change your presentation is looking for a new agent but you know older players or veteran already have been already through the process on of signing with an agent so they already know the drills they already know what to expect in terms of uh, representation agreement or what exactly the agent is supposed to do. While with rookies, you know, because they're new to the process, you know, they're definitely more, they definitely have more questions and um, maybe they, they have, uh, you know, they want to meet you, they want to, they, they want you to meet their parents. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a longer process. Is there, a is there a best time of year to sort of try to get new clients or to, begin the process of introductions and, and um, recruitment? Um, I think, you know, probably every, every agency has its own way to work. <laughs> I don't think there is a standard way. Usually towards the end of the season, especially, you know, when, when players are, are still in college, you cannot really work with them. So you have to wait the end of the season, you know, that the, they are seniors mm. and they graduate. Um, and uh, if you're trying to recruit some new players, obviously you have to, maybe you want to see how their season went, make sure maybe there were no injuries. So I would say more usually towards the end of the season, that's the best time to, to recruit mm. a client. Because, uh, you know, if, if, if you try to recruit a client in September or October, that's the beginning of the season, you know, everything can happen. Maybe they can get injured or change their mind by the end of the season. So usually mm -hmm. when it's time for them to look for another job, the following year, uh, that that's where also they might look for, for new representation or uh, look for a new job. And that's, that's to me, that's the best time. But again, maybe every agency 
operate its own way. <laughs> okay. So it, it sounds like early spring might be the starting point, like uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah. Well, that's also a time for the teams to make plans for the next year. So, I mean, unless they need a replacement, it, it's very difficult for a team to have a plan, a plan in place for the following season in September, you know, when they start, they just started the season. It's very hard for them, I think, to to have a vision of the following year already. Mm -hmm. Just going back, uh, just going back quickly to the B League reputation around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How is the B? How would you say the B League has grown as far as being recognized, and perhaps in Asia as one of the better Asian leagues? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think, you know, definitely, like I said, in 2016, that was the first year that the B-League merged and maybe it took a couple of years to be able to, for players and, and coaches to get to know the, the league a little, a little better. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, teams are very professional. Uh, I really enjoy working with teams in Japan. Uh you know, they treat players very well. They pay on time. Uh, the level of basketball is, is competing. Um, so I think it got a very a very good reputation every year, every year. And, and you know, I think um, with, uh, with the East Asia Super League right now coming up as well, it definitely became more challenging as well. Like uh, um, it got popular more and more even in Europe like like I said I don't think a lot of European coaches and uh, or teams were scouting players in Japan but they do right now and um, uh, I think also that's that's because the teams are doing a good job and the league is doing a good job in, in uh, uh, you know try to market the, the league the right way well, we wanted to talk a little bit more in detail about your career and the, the last few years, uh, looking at maybe comparing work during the global pandemic with, say, five or seven years ago. It, how would you say your work has been challenging in, in different ways these past two, almost three years now during the pandemic compared with before that? Uh, and yes. specifically, uh, can you speak about travel limitations and how you've also been able to keep in touch with, with players and teams, coaches, GMs? I assume you've done a lot of online work, Deborah. Uh, yes, the pandemic definitely created some issues in, uh, in traveling and uh, visiting clients. Um, uh, traveling was more difficult, uh, especially in countries like Japan and Taiwan. You know, the restrictions were, were very... Uh, very severe and uh, you could not really travel unless you had a, you know, a work visa or a family emergency. You couldn't just travel for, for business or, or holidays. And, um, you know, somehow players still managed to travel. Our clients still travel to Japan uh, for work, but, you know, visa applications were very slow. I mean, they took longer than, than usual and there were way more paperwork to to prepare along with you know covid tests uh, vaccinations and so everything made the process uh, more complicated and causes cause delay as well because for example we had players 
that signed contracts in um, July or August, and they mm -hmm. were only able to play in November. This is back in 2020 when, you know, in the middle of COVID. And so, yeah, they, they signed a contract basically July to August and with the visa process, quarantine, uh, traveling to Japan, they were only able maybe to play around October, November when the season already started. And in case of the in the case of the B League, um, during the pandemic, most of the teams were more inclined to sign players with existing visas uh, because mm -hmm. it was easier for them to travel back and forth and re-enter the country. And a lot of teams didn't want to, if I recall, they didn't want to take a risk to sign new players or submit new visas application because it was very uncertain, you know, if those applications were going to be approved um, from the consulate at that time. So I think a lot of teams didn't didn't want to take the risk. Um, so it was just easier to to sign players with a valid visa. Um, and, you know, obviously this made it more difficult for us because, you know, we couldn't visit our clients on a regular basis, uh, watch games in person and, um, we had to to replace our meetings with virtual meetings, a lot of Zoom calls, <laughs> a lot of uh, WhatsApp calls. And um, sometimes, you know, there were busy days where you had seven, eight Zoom meetings uh, in a row, you know, especially when it was time to sign new players or during the, the open market in the summer. So that's, that was the only way to communicate at that time. Are, are you seeing... Are, are you seeing the the level of uh, I should say is it becoming easier this year compared compared to last season or the year before just sort of becoming more normal for you oh yeah everything is back to normal I mean Japan now reopened the border like I said I traveled there early October um, hmm. of course you know there's still attention and you know people are still careful. Uh, which I think that's the way it should be, but definitely everything uh, is back to normal in terms of business and paperwork, and way easier to to travel. It it makes it probably makes your management of your time almost normal. Then you're trying to figure out all these things you got to do, but you don't have to factor in quite as many uh, Zoom or other online things. Yeah, I think the difficult part of the Zoom meetings was uh, was uh, the, like where the, 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 was like the time difference, you know, because sometimes mm. uh, you have to, uh, you know, take a call in Japan or Europe, and you know, I'm in the states, and of course maybe it's, it's four in the morning here, and it's it's uh, afternoon in Japan, so that that I think was the most difficult part for for me and for for my team. What are a few long term goals of DG Sports, your organization? Um, we are happy, you know, with what we have achieved so far. Um, and, you know, we hope our organization can continue with the, with this trajectory. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, our goal continue to, to help um, young players and be part of their success in their journey. Um, at the same time, you know, we're trying to expand our name in the NBA. We hope we can finalize more and more NBA contracts uh, for our clients, you know, young prospects. Um, and, you know, I think always build credibility and, and good relationship with, the, with our clients. 
since since you passed the FIBA agent license test in 2007, would you say that your name has has risen in name recognition uh, steadily within the world of agents, basketball agents? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, definitely since 2007, when I got my license, I think the number of certified agents uh, increased substantially. There are more people that acquired the license. So there is more competition in, in the market. Mm-hmm. And I believe through the new technology, you know, social media, it's way easier to contact players and get in touch with teams than years ago. And you know, this created competition in the market, more competition. Um, however, you know, I think my agency was able to create his own niche, you know, uh, of clients and build his own market uh, steadily, gain more, gaining more credibility and trust from our players and also from, from the teams. Um, you know, we're not trying to compete with, with big agency or big firms, uh, and I don't think we are the right agency for, for every player. Uh, we try to choose also our clients. You know, we, we are not signing any player just to just to sign a new client. We choose our clients accurately and based on their resume, their needs, their, their goals. We, we want to make sure we are also the right fit for them and that that we can be able to help them out in their career. Mm-hmm. Connected to that last question, what what do you hope is the reputation that players, coaches, and teams have about you? Uh, well, someone about that your they, work. they can trust. And, you know, I work hard and I try to be available for, for my clients whenever when, whenever they need me. and. You know that, that I'm definitely a reliable <laughs> agent to work with and uh, are working, uh, and mm-hmm. that I'm there when they need me. And of course, you know, be part of their success in in, in getting them the jobs. <laughs> mm. Okay, thank you for that. Um, no is there an example of being a mentor or a role model for students, perhaps especially female students? Uh, when you are talking about your work or telling them about the work of being a p- prospective agent, perhaps that you shared things that are challenging and fun about your work that you'd like them to know about? Uh, well, I wouldn't really say that I'm, I'm a role, role model, but um, I think in every profession, every job that you do, you have to try to be ethical and treat people and clients fairly um, to build longevity in what you do and, and you know in your business relationships. Uh, I you know I I talk to students or, or women you know that call me sometime and ask advice on how to start this profession and you know ask me question on how I started and uh, mm-hmm. ask me advice moving forward especially you know maybe students who are graduating in sport management or sports lawyers, entertainment. And, you know, it's a very challenging job. It's not easy. You know, like I said, even my business took a few years um, to build. And um, uh, you need to have a lot of patience, dedication. Uh, Not every day (laughs) is, is perfect. And especially, 
you need to be updated constantly on the market, on the players, on the transfers. So you need to dedicate a lot of time, um, I think, and especially, you know, be in communication with your clients uh, pretty much weekly. Uh, so I, I think some people might get discouraged, you know, when, when they start. And I think this is just part of the job and uh, it takes it. Takes a time. It takes time to build it, build relationships. Just, just an observation here that I think some of the best agents probably do more homework, studying game highlights and reading statistics and and the like the standings than than even the media. <laughs> probably, probably. I think you know over time, probably big agents. Uh, also have a team of people, you know, that, that work with them, like scouts or, you know, um, help, you know, other teams that uh, help them recruit players and, and uh, scouting. Otherwise, you cannot do everything by yourself. <laughs> so definitely you need a good team with you that, that help you out with all the duties. Okay. You've mentioned that you have roughly, uh, you know, rough uh, 50 or so clients. And mm -hmm. I know some of them have been with you for many, many years. Could you talk about a player or two or a coach or two who have, you know, kind of who kind of help illustrate long term relationships and the success of, of your agency in being able to cultivate relationships and, uh, you know, have success in Japan by helping them find jobs? Uh, year after year. Uh, yeah, our agency has been working with uh, Michael Parker for quite a while. Um, Michael is, has been in Japan more than a decade. You know, as actually is one of the few players who started in the old format with the BJ League and now is in, in the B League uh, with Guna. And we have been working a long time with Coach uh, Don Beck, uh, that was in the NBL or the league before. So he also, um, and now is working in the B league. And of course, both Parker and Coach Beck went through the, the whole process, you know, the whole change from the old format of the DJ league and NBL. And now uh, they went through the, the, the B league. So the, probably those, those are on, on the, one of the few clients that actually went through the whole process, through the whole change. Would you say that you've basically been comfortable with them in in working over the years? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're both great <laughs> to work with too. When when you have a player like Parker or a coach like Don Beck, and when you visit Japan and you see them again, and you get a chance to you know just to talk in person, how how enjoyable is that as opposed to just phone or you know text or other ways? Oh yeah, it's way better. I, I wish I could come more often to Japan. You know, I, I wish it was closer for me to be able to travel more often and see, you know, watching games in person, have a dinner, you know, with with my clients uh, is definitely more fun than than just a phone call. Even though you know you have videos today, you have more tools to be in contact. But I think uh, meeting someone in person is always better even for the relationship. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, well, we, we were speaking a little bit about maintaining positive relationships with players and coaches. And um, I'm curious, what are a couple of things that you do 
to give a personal touch to those relationships. For example, do you send Christmas cards in the mail? Do you do you call your clients on their birthday? Do you uh, do you send uh, wedding anniversary gifts to some of them? What what are a couple <laughs> of things that you do, Deborah? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on the client. It depends on the client, but I would say I always send Christmas card. I'm very traditional on that, so I, I send the old Christmas card with a personal message. To, to every player, uh, doesn't matter where they are, Germany, Japan, <laughs> France, I always send the Christmas card. Um, I always try to remember all the birthdays <laughs> too, or, or, you know, maybe if a player uh, as, a, as a baby or they get married, of course, you know, we, we always try to message them or call them. Uh, we, we are in touch pretty much, I would say weekly or, you know, a few times a month, depending on the situation. Uh, with the players um but um yeah would definitely try to be involved in their personal life as well so if they have uh, an important um e- event you know that happened we would try to you know be supportive and uh, uh be nice with them you know even just be on on a personal side as well not just the business Do you have any uh, any closing remarks you'd like to make about about what about working as an agent and just uh, how how this particular season is going for you? Anything interesting that is new and uh, exciting you'd like to share? Uh, well, I would say uh, the 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 nice thing is that every year our our agency grew. You know, we close more and more deal every year and every every year you can taste a little more success you know that's the growth you know every every year that's probably the the best part hmm. well thank you again for joining us we will share this recording and this this an art a brief introduction article on our website and also through other digital platforms uh apple and spotify and some of the other podcast uh setups like google and I appreciate your time and your insights on being an agent, working in Japan, uh, about the B-League and the old era. It's very interesting, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me and uh, happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas.